Banded together from remote galaxies come three of the most awesome spoilerites of all time. Dedicated to a single objective, supporting the major spoilers experience in all its forms. From the distant planet Kolu, the computer mind of Josh Mayfield. Out of Slaughter Swamp, born on a Monday, the golem known as Jorge Taranji. The leader of the rogues, his cold gun at the ready, Ramiro Barrera Palma. This Ted Knight shout-out goes out to you! The show is also sponsored in part by Past Generation Toys. Past Generation Toys has a large selection of Star Wars, G.I. Joe, and Marvel toys. Visit them on the web at pastgenerationtoys.com. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. Yo mama says you ain't gonna earn nothing acting the fool, but she never figured on our costume contest. The EIC takes over B-A-T-O-P-D-Q. The Dark Knight says Naganooch. Who's the hottest super guy who's a love machine for the JLI? Can you dig it? Also, second stage turbo rango power. It's morphin' time! Bad tonsorial decisions in review. And Sinestro and Carol Ferris still can't agree on who's more in love with Hal Jordan. And now there's a better way to pretend to be a woman than a picture of Selma Blair and typing all lowercase. Get a surrogate. I woke up this morning and the sun was gone, so I turned on a podcast to start my day and lost myself in a familiar song. And it kind of went... Bop, 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 bop. The Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. We are so excited and happy that you are here with us. Yes, you heard that right. Later in the show, we will be talking about the surrogates, but not the surrogates that inspired the current movie, but the volume two, which turned out to be a prequel to the movie and the story and, well... We'll talk so about the, that later. The sequel to the story is the prequel to the movie, and the vessel with the pestle holds the brew that is true. That is correct. Speaking of brew, Miller, Miller Genuine Draft tonight. Cold Indeed. filter. Indeed. I have a diet orange soda. <laughs> Rodrigo, what are you drinking? Um, Chicken. NyQuil. <laughs> Rodrigo, NyQuil if, he does, if he sounds a little different this week, it is because he is at home phoning in his... <laughs> Uh, Let's be honest, tonight. he phones it in every week. Well, kind of. Wah, wah, wah. Actually, there are several of us. I am also not feeling as good. I feel certainly a lot better than Rodrigo, but we got a couple of sick puppies this week. So I feel freaking awesome. And it has nothing to do with your RPI rating, correct? Uh, you're thinking of my uh, IR. Oh, okay, all right. RPI hey, why don't we get... would be runs punted. <laughs> yeah, Matthew's <laughs> RPMs are actually usually pretty low. They're like 67%. <laughs> Why don't we get to some news? Not a whole lot of big news this week. A couple of stories here and there that are kind of interesting. Uh, coming out of the, what is it, the Long Beach Convention, or was it uh, one of the There's other... so much drama in the LBC. It's kind of good being Dan, D-I-D-I-D-I-D-I-D-O. <laughs> Dan DiDio is set to write The Outsiders. DC executive editor Dan DiDio came out the other day to announce that he would indeed be the new regular writer of The Outsiders beginning in January. And maybe even better news is that he's bringing Philip Tan with him to do all the art. Hmm. Has uh, he said anything the about change his plans? Well, no, he does not. Although he did say, I think in an interview with somebody, that he said that uh, you know when new creators come on board 
They like to kind of erase everything that's gone on before. But he says, yeah, you know, I kind of like uh, what's been going on before. I don't see any need to change it. And this uh, changeover occurs with the Outsiders number 26, which, as I said, arrives in January. So smart the idea? Outsiders, yes. Are the Outsiders right now still the core members who teamed up with Batman, <laughs> the Creeper, and like um, Roy Raymond, the TV detective? Yes, it's the Owlman, the um, Black Lightning, Geoforce, mm-hmm. Katana, the, cre- uh, the Creeper, and Halo? Alfred. And, and who else? Halo? I don't think so. Little blonde girl? No, not right light now. Light powers? No. At least in, not in the issues that I've read, but then again, it's been four or five issues since I've read them. Mm. So is this a good idea or a bad idea for Dan Didio, the editor-in-chief, or the executive editor, to uh, jump back into the, uh, into the playground and start writing again? He's, he's, still, he's still the editor. Yes, oh yes, he'll still be the executive right. editor, yes. I mean, if he thinks he can handle it, then I don't see why not. It's not as though Didio has never written. It's, oh, that's know, right. He did a run. I think his first work for DC was a run on Superboy back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't not enjoyed his Metal Men in Wednesday Comics. Oh, did you enjoy that? You know, I, I read the first issue of Wednesday Comics and said, eh, I'll wait for another 12 weeks until all the issues come out, and then I'll read them in one go. So I still well, have I mean, yet to do it's, that. It's not as though I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you say certain names to me, I'll be like, okay, I'll buy that. Marv you Wolfman. You say Keith Giffen. Marv J.M. Dematis. J.M. Dematis. Wolfman Mateus. is actually not a given for me. Len Wein is a given. Steve Gerber was always a given. On just the outsiders or just in general? <clears throat> just in general. Oh, but I mean, okay. Dio isn't, isn't necessarily a name that I go, I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. Well, but he's think... also not somebody that I'm going to go, I'm going to drop the title as soon as he jumps <laughs> on. Well, yeah, that's, that's true, too. I think it's interesting that he just decides to take on The Outsiders, a title which is not high on the DC list of books being read. I think this is a very safe way for him to say, uh, hey, uh, Joe Casada over there at Marvel, you wrote some Spider-Man. Well, guess what? I'm writing, too. Only I'm writing The Outsiders, and if it flops, well, it's no big deal because hardly anyone's reading it anyway. Mm. I guess that's my, my thing, is that I'm really surprised that he didn't take on a more prominent title. being that Maybe... Maybe he's always wanted to write Geoforce. Maybe. Maybe. And I mean, it's not as though Batman and the Outsiders wasn't a huge groundbreaking title in 1984. Maybe I'm the only one old enough to remember. But I remember 1984. It had the Back to the Future and the Marty with the space thing and the Flavin. But when and the Outsiders came out, kids, it was Marty. a big deal. Batman quit oh, the yeah, Justice I quit. League. I quit. Founded the Outsiders. It had that killer Jim Aparo art. It was, you know, it was a pretty happening book. And then they revamped it and they revamped it and they vamped it once. And then they revamped it and then they devamped it. And I think they ex-vamped it. But this latest incarnation coming out of uh, RIP, I think they expected something different. They expected that Batman boost to maybe kick it into the stratosphere, and I'm not well, entirely sure that that happened. Well, the Outsiders did go up into the stratosphere in that uh, big old Batman si- satellite, uh, whatever the heck that's Satellite of is. Love, yeah. Yes. And then they were forced to watch cheesy movies, the worst we could find. Yes. La, la, la. You should really just <laughs> relax. <laughs> All right, so maybe that's just the answer right there. So everybody just relax. Let's see what happens in the Outsiders number twenty six, and see what Dan DiDio Outsiders can do. Now, Rodrigo, you are not a big DC reader. No, 
Uh, but you are I'm prob- a medium sized DC reader. Okay, but I would say you're sort of an extra medium. <laughs> <laughs> but who here's a question. Who is the sexiest, most handsome of all the DC superheroes? And the reason I ask this is because there was a casting call that went out for the CW Smallville, and it reads New sexy superhero, male, 37 to 48 years old, all ethnicities. He's the most handsome and sexy of all the DC superheroes. Must have a fantastic physique. Guest star. So this is kind of them saying, go dress up, be a sexy guy, dress up as your favorite DC superhero. Right. And we might cast you in Smallville for like a couple episodes. Yes. Uh... Essentially, they're looking for a guest. You know, they've been what Smallville has been doing over the last couple of years is trying to inject uh, other DC heroes into that universe. So we've seen uh, Green Arrow. We've seen uh, uh, Bart Allen. We've seen Aquaman. Uh, who else have we seen? We've seen Metallo just recently. We've seen the Legion of Superheroes appear in a couple of episodes. Have we seen Black Canary yet? Yeah, Black Canary yes. is in is in that as well. Now, the interesting she was thing. All yeah, she was. Didn't care for that at all. Now, the interesting thing about this is there is an upcoming Jeff Johns episode that he is writing that features the Justice Society of America. And when you look at the casting call, looking specifically for a male that's a little bit older, 37 to 48, but come on, Tom Welling's about that age right now. <laughs> um, one Tom has Welling to, is 257 <laughs> years old. One has to start thinking that perhaps, just perhaps, that they are trying to cast for this JSA character, which makes me think of the JSA male members, who is the sexiest, most handsome of, of, them, of them all. Alan Scott. Mr. Terrific. Scott. That's who I kind of thought was Alan Scott. I think Alan Scott, at least dating back to, you know, Crisis on Infinite Earths when they wiped out the Earth 2 Superman. Right. Alan Scott and Jay Garrick, to a lesser degree, are the big guns. Alan right. Scott is, you know, tall, blonde, handsome. He's, you know, the whole schmageggy. And Jay Garrick is that nice, Rich. you know, Midwestern guy. Right. Yeah. If you're looking for a JSAer who's supposed to be super sexy, I think it's it's going to be either Green Lantern or Wildcat. Well, see, here's the problem with Alan Scott is he is a Green Lantern. And I think with the Green Lantern movie currently in production, the CW would just say, uh-uh, let, or the Warner Brothers would say, no way can you have a Green Lantern appearing in the, in the Smallville. Wasn't, didn't he have another name for a while, like Guardian or Sentinel well, or it could something? Well, could be Guardian or Sentinel, that, that could be it. Could be Ted Grant, although you'd think with all of his years of boxing, his face would be be- beaten up. What about Zatara? Remember Zatara from way back in the Detective Comics days? Zatara's dad? Yes, Action Comics. Zatara's first appearance was Action Comics. Action Comics, okay. Mm-hmm. What about Zatara? You think you. he would fit into that? Because we've already seen a Zatanna-type character <laughs> appear in the series. I believe we actually saw Zatanna, didn't we? Well, was that her name? I don't remember. I haven't. I watched like the first three episodes of the last season and then didn't watch anything else, and I haven't caught up with it on the TiVo yet. I, so. I saw the one where pretty good. the Flash I say was that. bald. I saw that one. Any other thoughts? What about Buddy? I, I threw out. What about Buddy Baker or Michael Carter? Or is there a Legion of Superheroes character that we have yet to see appear? I know we saw the three founding members at thirty-seven yeah. years old. Well, they're yeah, from the if future. You're going, if you're going super handsome and sexy Legionnaire, you got to go Sun Boy. But I don't 
expect that that would be it. Somebody 37 to 48, they're obviously going for an older kind of mentory character. Yeah, and a character that is probably old in the or older in the DC continuity already. Yeah. I so, I mean, I think the JSA is a good call. Maybe it'll be Mister Terrific. Well, they do say all ethnicities. The original Mister Terrific though died. Well, mm. but this is Smallville. Remember, everything's different on the CW. Fair play. <laughs> um, who was? Now I forgot. Da, 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 da. Dun, 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 dun. Well, I guess it's not important. I, I will I will remember it down the road because it was a specific uh, character that might fit into into this role, but no big deal. Fantastic I guess we'll fantastic physique. What if it's Gog? My God, I hope not. What if it's Blue Beetle? Well, is he up there in that age age range? Well, cord. There is one obvious thing that we're missing here. What's that? A life. Batman. <laughs> well, no, because they've said time and time again that they won't put Batman in, even as a guest star, uh, for a variety of reasons, which is why I don't think that they're going to have a Green Lantern appear in the show. Now, if, if they do the Sentinel route, they could get away with Alan Scott uh, because of licensing issues and agreements. It's I just do not think it's going to be Batman. What about what about what about that Green Ghost guy? Green Ghost. The oh, Spectre? Spectre? Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Yeah, because he runs around pretty much naked except for a Speedo in that big cloak. So mm-hmm. if you've got a fantastic physique, then you're probably going to want to show it off. But handsome and sexy? Well, come <clears> on. <throat> I mean, this is a Hollywood trade that's putting out uh, handsome and sexy. Yeah, I don't think so. I think Who, we're probably... Who's that, uh, who's that uh, ulti- not Ultimate Fighter, what's that show, American Gladiator? What was that guy's name that played Batman in, in the in the um, Batman Dead End Alley and... and um, Nitro, is that who it is? I think so. Blonde hair. I just said said an American Gladiator. I remembered. It's on the on the most recent one. I think Blazer or Blazer (laughs) or uh, Gator. Gator. Titan. (laughs) Wolf. (laughs) Are you ready to rumble? Wait, I'm I'm on Team American. Wrench. Cowboy. That's a joke for four people in the audience. And when you get that joke, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to send a letter to Matthew at Majorspoilers.com and just go, I got that joke, so that we'll all be in on it. Real quick, Matthew, what do you think of the new Doctor Who logo that was revealed? If if you (laughs) I said I wasn't gonna do that, didn't I? If you if what you want to do is define this as a new era and a new doctor, right? A new a new you know thought process. I think it does the job well. I like the little DW implicating a TARDIS. Yeah, I like that too. Especially or with the, light. the existence, I guess the light on top kind of sells it. Yeah, I like that. I'm not entirely sure I like the font, mm. but I'm I'm a weird guy about fonts. I just have this this pathetic hatred of certain fonts. Yeah, Helvetica, Tahoma. You hate all Helvetica. the sans serifs. I don't hate sans serifs. I find sans serifs harder to read. Especially oh no, they're fonts. easier to read on the web. But um, I'm not a big fan of the font here that that they're using. But it's not bad. All right. Uh, it's better than the old diamond logo that they use circus season twenty two. Well, that's true too. Listeners, you can check out all these stories and a whole lot more over at the Majorspoilers.com website. You can even weigh in on some of these by clicking on the comment button and uh, throwing up your two cents. Don't or throw just, up. Yes, exactly. 
Rodrigo, hey, of... <laughs> that goes double for you. <laughs> well, Rodrigo is kind of sick, and I do uh, do have this tickle in the back of my throat, so we may see some of that before the end of the end of the show. Nah, it's going to turn into you guys technicolor yawning and Matthew <laughs> saving today. It's it's just a cold. I don't even have one of the new sexy illnesses going around. Oh, not Juan the H one N one, not the Heine no. virus. No, it's I don't Juan. have the Juan Nguyen. <laughs> All He's right. Vietnam Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of other things that we want to point out to you guys. First, the Major Spoilers Costume Contest. It is our third annual Major Spoilers Costume Contest. We want you to help us celebrate the upcoming holiday season by having you, yes, you, send us pictures of your bad self dressed up as your favorite comic book hero or villain or sidekick or whatever. Now, the best costume will not only be hailed as the grand prize winner in the Major Spoilers Costume Contest, you're also going to win your choice of a superhero wall graphic from Fathead and there are some pretty spiffy, fathead graphics that are going on right there. Second place winner, we're not going to leave you out. We're going to give you one of these four-and-a-half-inch atomic robo-statues, which uh, are being scooped up left and right. All you have to do is head over to Majorspoilers.com, look for the uh, little hawk girl over on the right side. That's our own, very own Victoria. Click on that. It's got all the contest rules and where to send the stuff. And speaking of Victoria... Here's a second contest that we just announced today up on the Major Spoilers website, or yesterday or last week, depending on uh, uh, when uh, when you're say listening it. to this show. Say it. You know you want to say it. Hello, future people. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> so Victoria and her boyfriend, Brian, are headed to the Baltimore Comic Con this weekend. That's October 10th and 11th at the uh, Baltimore Convention Center in Baltimore, Maryland. They're actually going to be there on Saturday. Now, here's the contest. They're going to be dressed up as a Connell and Supergirl. And if you see them at the show and you get your picture taken with them and you send that picture to us, you will be entered in a contest to also win an Atomic Robo statue from those cool guys over at, uh, at Atomic Robo, Red 5 Comics, Nuclear.com, and all that good stuff. Red 5 standing by. I can't hold it. Simply Red be. standing by. Red October <laughs> standing by. Red Button standing by. Red Big Fox Red standing by. by. <laughs> Elizabeth, Elizabeth, I'm coming. Ugh, Porkins, Porkins. <laughs> and why Stay did it target. have to be the fat guy who bailed out? Stay on himself? target. That really hurt my Stay feelings. Stay on target. He hey, was so, he just, it, yeah, never mind. His I name was, was Jack Porkins. I know. He was meant to die. <laughs> Hey, check this out. We had a lot, uh, more than usual, so that's why I said a lot. A lot of people make donations to the Major Spoilers cause this week to really get in on the full Major Spoilers experience. I'm thinking in the future we need to get Dante to draw up some original art for some of these people who donate a set amount of money. We'll have to figure something out on that. But you do like a Dante print of the three of us in the Charlie's Angels pose. Uh, I get to be Jacqueline Smith. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's an odd choice for you. Um, but the least we can do, you have there, Stephen, <laughs> the least we can do to these people that are donating to the major spoilers. Cause, I think you mean do for, well, the least we can do for them to them, okay. whatever that we want to do to them or for them <laughs> is give them a shout out at the top of the show. And if you want to have your name shouted out at the top of the show, all you have to do is kick, click on the donate button right there on the Majorspoilers.com website. Every little bit helps keep the site up for another month or so so that we can bring the Major Spoilers experience to you. And remember, and, if you've ever yes. had a thought 
and I'm sure some of you have. I know that we haven't. Or a comment, or if you'd like to be a contributor to the Major Spoilers Podcast, let's say you want to say something awesome like Stephen and I do. Now, Stephen and I are going to have a little skit, and it's going to go like this. Ready? Okay. Hey, Stephen. Funny comment. Oh, okay. Tell me one. Witty rejoinder. (laughs) Stephen does not know how to role play. If you want to contribute, if you have a thought, and again, Stephen does not. What? You can contact us at the Major Spoilers Hotline, 785-727-1939. And remember, 1939 was the year that Batman was invented. And there's a specific reason why I picked that phone number. There All is? All right. Yeah, 1939. Um, <laughs> and, and I just we would point suck out- suck tonight! <laughs> I will point out- that uh, we are at episode 141, which means we are nine episodes away from 150, and I think we are about due for another live podcast. So you'll want to program that phone number into your uh, speed dial or into your mobile phone or whatever that you might be doing, because we might be doing another live show in about nine episodes. Got to get one more. Only eight episodes away from 150. Well, 141. If we're at 141. 141 plus nine is 150. Yeah, so eight episodes right. away. Eight episodes from now would be episode yes. one. Yes. Because this is episode 141. It's that like right. you, you celebrated your 39th birthday and you're now in your 40th year. I know I am. Don't remind me. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk about some reviews. All right. Boom Studios has been pestering me for the last couple of days saying, Stephen, did you know that Kill Audio number one is coming out this week? Hey, Stephen. Did you know that Kill Audio number one is coming out this week? Hey, Steven, you know that Claudio Sanchez got a new comic book coming out this week? It's called Kill Audio number one. Huh? Huh? How about it? Huh? Well, Rodrigo, tell us about it. Kill Audio number one by your favorite person in the whole wide world, Claudio Sanchez. That's right. Um, and it's nice of the guys from Boom to send us uh, these review copies. Electronically, um, I should mention. Yes, Not physical yes. copies, FTC. <laughs> We'll square this out later. <laughs> um, I, I I will preface this by saying that there's something about Claudio Sanchez that uh, kind of annoys me. What's that? Um, the fact that he that that a lot of the main characters in his fiction are such obvious stand-ins for him. Like a lot yeah, of a lot of writers write essentially themselves into their fiction, but yeah. he doesn't even in any way try to hide it. But is that and really actually, a bad thing? Um, it wouldn't be a bad thing if not for the fact that the main characters are also the key to the universe. Ah, okay. Like in fiction, in this. In these stories, that character is the most important person in the universe. Ah, okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, so you know, take this review with a grain of salt. And this is what I, this is how I'm coming into it. But Kill Audio Number One, um, we'll start by saying has really great art. Oh, you like that art? I really do. Um, it's kind of gross at times. Um, but I mean, you kind of go in. You know, within a couple of panels, you come to expect it. Um. It's basically all gray tones and red. It looks really good, actually. Um, the character design is cool. I, I mean, if you look, and, and here it goes, Kill Audio, the main character, right? That's his name, Say, is Kill Audio? I thought, that was Kill like Audio. The, I thought that was the plot. We got to go Kill Audio. No. 
No, no. That's his character. That's the character's name. When you get some time, say it really fast and see what it sounds like. Claudio? Uh, you're right. All right. Claudio? You're getting Cla- closer. Cla- Cla- Claudio? No. What's, that... this guy's, what's this guy's last name? Oh, Claudio doesn't have a last name. Oh, okay. That would be too much. Just like, you know, <laughs> in uh, in the Armory Wars, how the character's called Claudio Kilgannon. <laughs> Which is an awesome last name. Um, but Kill Audio, who looks exactly like Claudio Sanchez. I mean, pull up the, the picture on Wikipedia. It, it looks exactly like him. I mean, he is obviously supposed to be that guy. Okay. Um, so uh, from the art perspective, it, it's done really well because it looks just like him. Mm-hmm. Um, which is part of the thing that annoys me. But the art is real good. The characters, the, the characters are basically this chicken who's always on coke. Um, Kill Audio, the coolest guy in the world. Um, a pillow that loves to play basketball, like an anthropomorphic pillow, and a skeleton wearing a beaver costume. And this all makes sense why? It doesn't, but that's kind of part of the point. Um, I like the character design of all of them. I like the idea behind having such insanely absurd characters. Uh huh. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. That's all right. um, we can edit that. All right. Or maybe not. Or maybe not. But um there's kind of a couple issues with it. One um the comic is about music and about like the problems with music and it's all like oh the music sucks right now. Everything sucks. Oh kill audio, please save the music. Which is a big issue in a comic book because you can't hear it. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, you look at a book like Scott Pilgrim that had like a definite music component. And that's always something that kind of fell flat for me. Um, not actually being able to sight read because, you know, they would actually put that stuff up. Um, right, right. A lot of musical references that just kind of, eh, you know, they, they seem to be there just for street cred. Um, and the story is... Uh, he is searching for his purpose. So he is going to go see essentially the wizard of Oz who is going to give him his purpose. Mm. Um, And by the end of the issue, we discover that he is the one that has to essentially save the music, I I guess. So he's going to donate to a lot of high schools. um, through (laughs) All in all, Uh. um, I don't know. This I started at one star for this book because really I just hit and, and and let me say that I like Coheed and Cambria. I like the band. Yeah, he's actually a pretty good musician, and I don't know anybody who can hit notes that high in general. You know, regardless of whether they're a dude or a chick. Um. So he's a he's a great musician, but his his fiction I don't like. Um. All in all, I'm gonna give this one two stars. Because I really like the art, um, and also because I really like the art. Okay. Story just okay, or you just don't like the fact that he's keeps it's, injecting himself into a story? Well, it's very linear. There's a couple points that are cool. There's this guy who's running around. Like, the, the character Kill Audio is immortal, but oh, he can okay. still get hurt. And there's a character running around trying to kill him, and he just doesn't seem to fathom that he's immortal. He just keeps trying. Mm. So, just in these... Well, how many pages is this? Um... 
like 35 pages. Yeah. Um, he gets shot, like he gets essentially maimed like six different times. And um, the way that it's done, it's done creatively. You know, it's like they blow off his head and you can see his brain. Like it's, it's all very well put together and, you know, the gray on red, there's a lot of blood. It all looks really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like that concept is fun, but everything else just kind of, eh, and the plot is very linear and kind of okay, <coughs> simple. All right. So I'll give it two slices of meatloaf and we'll call it good. All right, cool. All right. That's kill audio from boom studios. Check it out. Maybe if you don't uh, hate Claudio Sanchez, maybe that you'll want to pick this up and check it out as well. Matthew, do you like, uh, Claudio Sanchez? I don't love or dislike him. I can tell you that what I've read of the comic books, which I think was like second stage turbine engine, didn't do a whole lot for me. It actually kind of reminded me of um, who is it that writes the Immortal Warrior stuff? Oh, uh, like the the guy with the 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 albino guy who keeps resurrecting and having a sword and junk. No idea, no. Elric. Oh, okay, that guy. Yeah, to where he like dies, and but he's he's eternal, see, and he's always a warrior. Okay, it right. kind of felt like that, sort of halfway between the influenced way and halfway between the I may possibly have stolen large chunks of this way. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. All right. All right. Well, I do know that there are some big um, Claudio Sanchez fans out there who tried to convince me over and over again, beating me over the head to the point of trying to say this is the greatest comic book of all time. So, eh, it may be, as always, your mileage may vary. Exactly. Hey, this week I picked up Batman Widening Gyre. 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 Number two, written by Kevin Smith. Art by Walter Flanagan and a bunch <laughs> of other people. Who is Walt Flanagan? I don't think he's really Walt Flanagan. Well, he's really Alex Ross in disguise, slumming it with the rest of us. I, I like this. I like how this story is going. It's obviously not set in the current Batman continuity or universe because it. Well, when was um, gosh, when was that not killing joke? When was the uh, laughing fish? The whole silver. Oh, God, silver, that was 1978. This is like a story that follows up after that. And it's actually kind of is that the one where the Joker killed the uh, silver St. Clair's. Not killed him, but maimed the the senator husband. I think you may that? be thinking of the cartoon version. I don't remember. I, I know that they kind of reintroduced this or retalked about it a few years ago in one of the Batman books. So this is a story that kind of takes place after after that. So it starts off really, really well with Batman trying to save uh, uh, a kid that's been kidnapped in an amusement park, and of course he goes after the kid that's been thrown off the top of the roller coaster. And uh, you think that the uh, bad guy has gotten away, but this guy that we saw in the first issue, this kind of goat head mask guy, comes in and saves the day and puts the bad guy to rest. We also see a great little introduction of um, Superman into the story, and we see the silver-aged uh, Dick Grayson in his little pixie boots and, and uh, tidy, tidy little green shorts there. And we get reintroduced to Silver St. Clair, who says that, oh, since my husband has passed away, oh, I don't want to be the grieving widow anymore. I want you back, Bruce. I want you back. And so that's kind of a, you know, those three elements alone, this new mysterious possibly person helping him along 
This potential ally is a really kind of a cool story, trying to figure out who that is. Seeing the Silver St. Clair uh, Cloud character reintroduced into the story is very cool. Then we get to some really weird stuff that happens at the end of the issue. This is a very short read issue. And so that's kind of a little bit of a drawback because there's like it's broken into four separate little sub stories that all tie together. But Matthew, I'm not up on my uh, Batman pre 1980, 1980. Cornelius Sturk. Is that a real character from Batman's past? Cornelius Sturk. Yes. He's a heart eating telepath. I have not heard of okay, Cornelius. So this is Sturk. this has got to be a new Kevin Smith character that's introduced. Is this that... guy is a this guy's a cannibal. Oh. He loves eating hearts, but he has the ability to use uh, telepathy to cloud men's minds to make them think that they are someone else, uh, so that he can draw them in and and knock them out and all that good stuff. And it's pretty grotesque because you see him boiling up hearts and you see dead bodies all around. It's it's pretty blood and guts. And then Batman comes in to try to save the day. And at first, the uh, Cla- uh, Cornelius Sturk tries to change into uh, uh, Silver St. Cloud, but it doesn't kind of go very well. So it's kind of disturbing to see her head on a really creepy cannibal bloodied body with boxer shorts. Or yeah, <laughs> uh, But then, as Batman gets a little conk on the head and the, and the bad guy disappears into the darkness... His new supposed ally steps out of the darkness. The guy with the goat head and kind of the same motif as Batman steps out of the darkness and Batman says, oh, you got to be careful. This guy's a low-level telepath. Watch out. And then that's when you realize that, oh, this uh, this Sturk has been reading his mind and clouding it to make him think that he was Batman's ally. Cracks him over the head with a, an axe. Uh. That's kind of how we end the issue with Batman lying on the floor bleeding that sucks. It's a kind of a very cool issue. You know, I didn't like uh, Smith's last, you know, uh, cacophony. I did not cacophony. care. I did not care for that at all. Or, well, some people call it cacophony. Cacophony. Uh, I did not like that at all. But I'm really digging Batman, the widening gyre. Gyre. That's what I said. Gyre. Uh, the art was really cool. The story moved at a quick pace. Maybe so quick that I didn't realize that we went through 22 pages so quickly. Um, for three ninety nine or two ninety nine, it just felt like the story was too short for what we got. Of course, you had that eight page bonus of whatever's happening over in the Justice Justice League. Gyre. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. <laughs> so uh, da, 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 da. I I like this a lot. This is I can't. This is a great, great issue. I'm going to give it four slices of meatloaf. Wow, it's a it's a good it's a good Kevin Smith thing. It's not wordy like you expect some of the other Kevin Smith stuff to be. Um, it's not overly drawn out and over the top. It's a good solid story that's well paced, has a lot of great twists and turns, and has a great payoff at the end with uh, you know Batman essentially lying in a heap on the floor, and we don't know what's happening next. Now I should say that this is only the second of six issues, so he's got about three issues now that he can draw the story out and make it really slow. But now I'm really looking forward to issue number three. Hmm. So, there you go. Matthew? According to my careful prosthesis, Cornelius Sturk is a serial killer who appeared right about the time of Knigget Fall, which means I think he may have fought in, uh, John Paul Asbats. Oh, okay. Well, I just don't remember him. But he does have the power to cloud men's minds, apparently. Yes, and he is a cannibal. And so the well, it's great, you know, 
This, this is a great scene. It's um, Sturk is standing there with this bleeding heart that he's just cooked up in his hand while a, a future victim is tied up and ba- ball gagged in front of him. And he's going on and on and on about how mm, he loves the taste of, of terror and the, how the heart, you know, saves all of these uh, chemicals uh, that's coursing through your body. And you just see this panel where this the giant fist comes in and is punching Sturk out. And the only, the only caption that you see in there is I hate cannibals. It's just great. It's just great. Oh, right. You got to read it. Uh, Matthew, you've been reading blackest I, night. You've been all I over that. Have. I've been reading and enjoying blackest night, which is a little bit unusual for me when it comes to massive super. I super just crosses. wish this event would not be lasting a whole year with fifty million. It's like DC picked up the Marvel playbook and just said, "Let's spread this story out into as many, many, many stories as or issues as we can." I wish they would have kept it like Sinestro Core War. Just keep it in the core titles. Well, the Sinestro Core War was a battle between two armies. This is a battle that literally involves seven separate armies uh sinestro core war was a seven nation army yeah a seven nation army and it couldn't hold him back sinestro core war was a game of stratego <laughs> i was gonna say a game of risk this game blackest night is axis and allies with five players and it may take forever so i mean i can i can definitely get behind it i actually read this week green lantern number 46 which is a blackest night tie-in and right. it's doing what i expected to have happen because each of the various cores is now getting their own little guy who kind of represents it be it sinestro be it hal jordan be it atrocitus be it larflees <laughs> Each one of them kind of represents, and then each core has its own little creature, the ion entity, the predator for uh, the star sapphires. Nobody knows who the predator is but me. The parallax, you know, and each one is now getting their own little planet because you got Mogo and you've got Ranks, the living city, and now you've got Zanshi, who's this planet of black lanterns. And and then soon they're all going to have their own little hats and their armbands and a list of people to come for in the night. But... (laughs) This issue begins on the planet Zamoran. For those of you who wonder why the Guardians of the Universe are so moody, Zamoran is where all their women live. Yeah, the hot women. <laughs> why, all the, why do all the, the, the essentially, uh, I guess you, I would call them Zamorans, but the, the what core are they? The, the, the Star Sapphires. Sapphires. Man, why do they all have to be hot? Why can't you just have an average girl represent love? Because they represent love, and you know... You can't have the fat chick who works nights at the quick shop representing She's got a great personality. You know what she represents? She represents that's good enough. (laughs) But in any case, the Star Sapphires (laughs) are basically at war right now. They're under under fire by Black Lanterns. Right. And the Star Sapphires had captured several of Sinestro's female yellow corpsmen and we're trying to transfer them from yellow to purple which is easily done my daughter does it with crayons all the time they now, is have this something that's it, been a power that has been known where they essentially encase you in the in the in the sapphire crystals and then eventually all the hatred and evil and whatever pours out of you and you become a good person uh, this is the first time this a there's Jeff been Jones thing? a core okay the star sapphires have always been individuals in the past carol ferris was possessed by a sapphire right um there was a star sapphire in the golden age who fought Alan Scott. 
So there's never been a star sapphire core per se. So yeah, this is all Jeff John stuff. So, well, I guess even the revelation of, I guess it's the uh, star sapphire. It's not a power battery. It's like a power crystal. Mm-hmm. The entities encased in there, is that a big deal too? Is that something that, that's obviously something new as well? That seems to be new. Yeah, they've been powered until recently. They didn't even use rings. They just had star sapphire gems. Ah, okay. The sapphires have been trying to eat Sinestro's women. So Sinestro has shown up on Zamoron to get, you know, basically his corpsman back. Unfortunately, in the midst of all this, Hal Jordan teleports in to save Carol Ferris alongside Indigo 1. Indigo 2, of course, was touring on the Lollapalooza circuit. Well, he, he appeared briefly and then he poured it out. No, that's Indigo That's Indigo 7. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's what about just, Johnny 5? Where was he at in all of this? Johnny 5 is alive. No disassemble. But <laughs> you're getting even with me, aren't you? Somehow these four people, each of them sort of a living harbinger of their core. Hmm. hmm. Come together and start finding out that by combining the indigo power with other power colors, you can destroy a black lantern. And Sinestro goes, Arg, I am Sinestro. And Indigo is like, no, wait, shut up. And he's like, no, Arg, I am Sinestro. And Hal's like, dude, where's my girlfriend? And Indigo's like, shut up, you're Sinestro. And <laughs> we do see one thing that I find to be really fascinating. What's that? And I know it's not going to get the thing that it deserves. In Blackest Night number one, Carter Hall right. was killed. Right. And Kendra, uh, Kendra Saunders was killed. In this issue, we find what powers the Star Sapphire's lantern. The Lantern of Love is the crystalline remains of Carter and Shiera's first bodies, Prince Khufu and Princess Chayara. Which brings, that was such a big, that's a big revelation. That's why I was didn't reveal it when I was asking you a moment ago what was well, powering those crystals, because doesn't go. that... I- you know, this whole thing that, that Carter Hall, especially in the animated series, and, and, and also in this one, too, is the reincarnation bit where they're always destined to refine each other. Right. Well, if their spirits are powering the power of love, how are they reincarnating into their other body? That's the part that I doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know that it's their spirits so much. I think that their bodies, their original bodies, are serving as some sort of totemic magic. Ah, okay, so it's the bodies myth. that's doing it, not the essence of... Well, of the hawk peoples. I would say that Blackest Night has pretty effectively shown us that it is the bodies that are rising and not necessarily anything else. Yeah, that's true. But having a second set of Hawkman and Hawk Girl resurrected is fascinating to me. I'd like to see all of them come back and have a Blackest Night Hawkman crossover where he actually fights himself and then while his selves are fighting, he fights himself, and then his self comes in to try and backstab himself while he's fighting himself. Would that be the Hawkman from Hawkworld that comes in and tries to save the day as well? Same guy. They were all the same guy. <laughs> all the same guy. Anyway. Man, uh, if there's... we could just have like some kind of crisis or something that would clear up all that continuity, that'd be awesome. Dude, it's like the, in- the Earths are infinite now. <laughs> I'm telling you. We have little bits where we see Scar on Oa going, Arg, I am evil. And we see Jon Stewart on the planet Zanshi going, wait, I killed you. And they're like, no, no, save us. Ah!" And they lure him to his inevitable doom. (laughs) And what it eventually breaks down to is a big fist fight between Sinestro and Mongol. Yeah. For control of the core. Well, the Yellow yellow Lantern Corps. Right. The Sinestro 
Yeah. Cold. Yeah. Sinestro may have a gourd for a head, but he knows himself some tactics. And he kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's got an ace up his sleeve. Beats the living but Jesus out of Mongol. Kills him. Stabs him to death and crushes him under the giant yellow lantern. That's, I mean, that's hardcore right there. I think that's a moment where we're supposed to, where we supposed to have Mongol being so evil that we actually side with Sinestro. And do you? To some degree, yeah, because it's one of those Stone Cold Steve Austin moments where he's a sociopath and he's a jerk and he's a psycho, but he's so dramatic about it and he's so decisive that you just kind of go, you know, yeah. But you get to the point where Sinestro takes his core back and at that point, more Black Lanterns arrive, but... We have Hal representing the Green Lantern, Sinestro representing the yellow, Indigo right. in re- representing, I believe, the, um, I'm going to say off-white lanterns, because, <laughs> you know, her name is Indigo. Mother of Pearl. There you go. Star Sapphire representing the purpley lanterns. So somebody, and I believe his name was Matthew, as well as anyone else paying attention, may have uh, come to the theory that we're going to have to use all of our powers together to resurrect the Rainbow Raider. Well, they, oh, there you go. See, uh, Roy G. Bivolo is yeah. coming back from the dead, and he will be the first, I'm going to say, clear lantern. I can't wait until they, fig- you know, they figure out that the peace part plays a big role in it, where we see, and this is, goes on in the Blackest Night series, with mm-hmm. Hawk and Dove. and Don uh, Hall at peace. Yes, and also the sister uh, at peace as well, or the, the current right. Dove, who they can't really convinced Dawn, to switch over. Dawn's not dead, is she? Uh, they, they've attempted it. Uh, she's not dead yet. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens with, with that whole thing. You know, as, yeah. as far as siding with Sinestro, I think the biggest revelation is when he essentially comes out and says, you know, this is my home world. No matter what, no matter what kind of lantern I am, I am still the protector of this world. And Mongol, mm-hmm. you're going to get the hell off my planet. <laughs> that Get was kind of that the hell off my planet. That was kind of a big kind of a revelation turning point, I think, in his character when he mm. essentially came out and said that. Plus the revelation too that I think it was mis- mentioned in this issue, the revelation that uh, there's a reason why he and Abensur got along so well and why he still respects. Abin Sur, I thought, was is another great story revelation for Sinestro. Is that the one because Abin let him bone his sister? Yeah, and maybe we're even married, and that's how they ended up with, uh, what's-her-name, who's also in the Green Lantern Corps? You know, Sinestro's daughter, what's-her-name? Um, Saranic Natu. Maybe that's who it is, yes. Serena, so, I took Saranic Natu recently. It was actually really good. It got rid of my cold. <laughs> I get the um, uh, non-drowsy formula, so it doesn't really do yeah, anything for me. That's, you got to be careful with that because the regular Saranic Natu will knock you out for like four days. Yeah, so give us a, give us a meatloaf yeah. rating on this, Matthew. Green Lantern number 46. Three slices of meatloaf. It's good. It gets the plot where it needs to be. There's some moments in it that are excellent. There's a hell yeah moment when Sinestro overcomes Mongol. Oh, yeah. And I'm I'm ashamed at how much of a hell yeah moment it is. And then it ends with the return of someone whom we've mentioned as a Black Lantern. I'm not mentioning any names, but 
the ending actually takes away from what comes before. Three out of five, though, is still better than your average comic book. It's still a strong issue. It's still something that's, you know, bringing this crossover along. I yeah. like the pacing of the crossover so far. Yeah. Even though it's one of those things that, yeah, it's going slower and it's probably going to take a whole year. It's oh, not I think it's so take longer. It's not so slow that we're dragging that we're thinking, oh, my God, when is this going to end? Can we get these seven people together for already so they can be the rainbow? Right. You know, well, it, we know it's coming. I know. But it's 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 getting there in such a way that, you know, for the people who aren't saying to themselves, what happens if they all come together and resurrect the Rainbow Raider? You know, it's nice to see the way the pacing is going. And it's nice to see the bits where Carol and Hal have their little discussion and Sinestro keeps popping in and going, I'm evil. <laughs> I have a gourd for a head. <laughs> All right, uh, everyone, uh, you can head over to the Majorspoilers.com website. We've got plenty of more reviews over there. We're averaging about one or two per day now. Sometimes four. Depending on if we got our act together and who else is writing. We've got Stacy B. writing for us. Glad yeah. to have him back. Sam Dunham is also writing a couple of things. He just posted a um, photo gallery overview of the Mid-Ohio Con that took place this past weekend. And we've got Victoria offering up her her secrets to the uh, universe. So good and times then, going on over there at Majorspoilers.com. Occasionally, even Rodrigo writes things. Yes, he does, but there's no pressure on R Rodrigo to write stuff because we know he's always busy. I'm busy, too. I have four jobs, three girlfriends and a wife. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that's also because you're almost 40 and Rodrigo's a mere 25 years old. So you've got a little mm -hmm. age on him. Well, you know what they say, pressure's a mug. There you go. All right, everybody. We've come to that point in the show. Uh, Matthew, uh, this, is your <laughs> cue to, this is your cue to... Drummer, that off. was your cue! <laughs> Reminds me of that Ramones album where Joey misses his cue and the rest of the band starts chanting, Joey effed up! One, two, three, four! It's time. <laughs> When you walk into the wilderness with barely a razor to your name, you say to yourself, is it time? And the answer is no, because now it is truly time for the millions in attendance and the legion of Susanna Hoff's fans in the audience right now. The major spoilers poll of the week, 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 week. Paul of the week. I have I have no idea what Skull Brian does in his spare time, but it uh, frightens me. I think it involves booze and lots of it. <laughs> Skrull Brian came up with a poll of the week this week. And I guess if you're a scroll from your scroll point of view, one might want to spend an endless hours pondering crazy beards. You might. You might. That little, no. You know, they got that chin thing. Yeah, really they might would, want to cover I, up. No. What's that? Yeah. If you're a scroll, you're going to no. ponder beards. Or at least you know that's what, what Brian has done this for week. an hour, hour and a half in the 70s, and I'll tell you right now. Regardless no. of Skrull Brian's mental state, he did send along the question of who makes the long beard crazy wild man look, look good? 
<laughs> so we've got Dumbledore, Aldous Dumbledore from the uh, Harry Potter series. Dumbledore. That's what I said. You we've said got uh, Alan Moore. Alan Moore. And we've got, uh, what is it, Jim Brin? Uh, I, <laughs> John I, I, Brown. All I know is I remember him from the cover of those Kansas albums. <laughs> John Brown, the abolitionist from the Kansas. No return. So this uh, crazy wild man look. Who makes it look best? Who makes it work? Matthew? As much as I love Alan Moore's writing, I, 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 I uh, his hair works for me. His beard looks like his neck exploded. <laughs> he's a, a wonderful writer, and, and if, if he's listening right now, Mr. Moore, I, I want you to know I'm a huge fan of many things. Um, John Brown, on the other hand, is 13 feet tall every time I walk into his office downtown in Topeka. So <laughs> that's that's a little bit, you know, freaky. And he's he's got a Bible in one hand and a rifle, and a rifle in, the in the other. That's right. If you don't know he's who John Brown is, listeners, man. if you don't know who John Brown is, listeners, go look it up on the Wikipedia. And you need to go to Topeka, Kansas. You're going to go yes, downtown. You do. You're going to down to 7th and Jackson Street. You're going to park right next to the state capitol building in Kansas. You can't miss it. It's enormous and it's green. And what you're going to do is you're going to go inside and you're going to take the tour. You don't about halfway up. No, you got to take the damn tour. Shut up. About halfway <laughs> up the uh, the rotunda, if you will, on the left, over by the Otis elevator, you're going to find a picture of John Brown that's so big. It'll it's scare so you. you're supposed to say how big is it? How big is it? It's so big. Never mind. I didn't have a joke there. Anyway, <laughs> so so who did you go for? It's a fascinating picture. It is. And then if, I, I, actually, I'm ashamed to say that I voted for Dumbledore based on the fact that he rocks the beard. Yeah. They actually changed actors and kept the same beard. Yeah. Now that's impressive. You know, when he died with his beard on, and then you just give it to the next guy like a cowboy. <laughs> All right. So one vote for Dumbledore. Rodrigo, do you know who John Brown is? Um. Yes. Okay. Who, who is he? You, who did you go for? He set Kansas on fire, right? Yes, he did. <laughs> he did. Burning Kansas. Good work, sir. <laughs> and bleeding Kansas, too, with all them Jayhawkers. That's right. You know, the, like, when I uh, first moved to Kansas, they were like, so you're going to be like a Jayhawk or like a Wildcat? And I'm like, um, what's a Jayhawk? And they're like, well, it's like, <laughs> it's a fictional animal. You know, it represents I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I would definitely go with a fictional animal because nobody knows what it can do. Maybe right. it can shoot lasers out of his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> a Wildcat well, can't stand up for that. Laser-eyed Jayhawks is a plane. You've got to be careful. Well, That's I must right. say that the uh, you know the Maple Leaf Festival is going on, the annual Maple Leaf Festival in Baldwin, Kansas. I think it's going on this weekend, next weekend, one of those things. And uh, that was one of the big areas that John Brown inhabited. So uh, you want to go Tell see some Maple Leafs? And, and if you like <laughs> you funnel cakes. You say it like you was a Yeti. <laughs> <laughs> it's the area in which he was known to have uh, migrated. <laughs> yes, back there are some pictures of John Brown, lines. but... Much like Bigfoot, no one is entirely sure. Nah, I'm going to go... He was an abolitionist, which is not to be confused with an ablutionist, which is entirely different. Or an ablationist. Um, the, uh, I'm going to oh. go with Alan Moore, just because there's this great picture of Alan Moore, and it's one of like three pictures that have ever been taken of him. 
Yeah. Um, where he looks like here's here's what what it conveys to me. It looks like I just opened my cellar door, <laughs> and there he was. Yeah. So I, as far as most bang for my buck, because all I can see is beard and eyeballs. Yeah. And that is frightening. So I'm going to yeah. go with that. Well, I went with uh, abolitionist John Brown. Anybody who advocates and practices armed <laughs> insurrection as a means to end slavery has got to make that make that work. Well, you know, uh, Thoreau and Ralph Waldo Emerson, yeah, both spoke of him highly. So, well, Plus Abraham Lincoln said that he was just feet tall. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln said that he was just a, a misguided fanatic. Yeah, but Abraham but... Lincoln said that about you. Well, he did. I, uh, you look in his you writings. You don't want to know in, what Nancy Reagan he, said. He said, in, in four score and seven years from now, there will be a crazy fanatic called Stephen who will run a website and gather around him some of the most powerful creatures in all the universe. Beware. Banded together from man. distant galaxies. <laughs> Mexico's a galaxy, right? Might as well be. It's where most of the players from the LA galaxy come from. Ooh, snap. That's deep, Ogre. You got to see a picture of John Brown in uh, 1859. That's when he's rocking the beard and the hair. Yeah. That guy. As of right now, 225 faithful spoilerites are in. Most of them are actually voting for the guy with the Hydra beard on the uh, top of the image. (laughs) But 43% of our votes agree with me, proving once again that 43% of spoilerites are awesome. Uh, Saying Dumbledore rocks the beard. Uh, 37% say Alan Moore, 20%, oddly enough, say John Brown. Here's the irony. If you add that all together, it actually makes 100%. Well, there you go. Most weeks that doesn't happen. It's like 99% or whatever. Yeah, it's like 99 and there's that little percentile and it it drives me nuts because my brain is like adding it up when I just hear Willy Wonka going and 3% butterscotch ripple. What I find interesting about this poll specifically is I think you have to be kind of from Kansas to know who John Brown is. And so it's interesting to see the comments in the polls and we start to point out, oh, okay, that person's got to be from Kansas. That person's got to be from Kansas. Sean has to be from Kansas. He says, my vote is for John Brown. The tragic prelude is hanging in my office here at work. My late grandmother worked at the Capitol in Topeka. And I remember passing that mural each time I was there. It's an awesome piece of art. I vote for the crazy abolitionist. (laughs) A wizard, a hobo, or a painting? (laughs) <laughs> says Rico. <laughs> I like the way Rico boils things down to their essence. Yes. <laughs> We're going to have to time. watch that one. <laughs> and All by right. watch, I mean, you know, probably truck him away. Send him to the uh, to the yeah. Federal Bureau. It's like the old George Carlin routine about you can wear your baseball cap to the football game, but don't wear your football helmet to the baseball game. All right. This week. Somebody check that guy's calendar. This week, we've got a look at The Surrogate's Flesh and Bone, Volume 2. Now, somebody wisely pointed out, called us out in the uh, comment section up on the Major Spoilers website, how come you guys are reading Volume 2? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, it is Volume 2. Because we want to. Because we, <laughs> we're a bunch of fat bastards who do what we want. And if you don't like, you can't stop us. Don't even try. One time, 29 of us went and split a bottle of Manischewitz and went to bed without brushing our teeth. We're crazy men. Uh, number two, uh, it's technically a prequel to the first volume. 
And uh, number three, at the time that we actually bought these trades and some, sent them out to everybody, the first volume was not available. Uh, and it wasn't until just last week, I think, that the hardcover came out, the hardbound collection, which collects volumes one and two, came out, of course, just in time for the Surrogates movie to open. So the Surrogates Flesh and Bone takes place in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, well, it doesn't say Atlanta. It just says a central Georgia metropolis. Central but come Georgia, on. Georgia there's metropolis. three. There's three cities in, in Georgia. There's Macon, there's Athens, and there's Atlanta. Savannah, you don't count. I'm sorry if you've got Savannah I've, listeners. I've, You're more like a North Carolina <laughs> or South Carolina. Wow. <laughs> Steve, I want to tell you something that uh, that uh, Cameron Perry once told me. It's not nef- it's not necessary to have a deep conviction about everything. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you can walk away and just go. You know what? It's Georgia. Now, Central. I think Central Georgia Metroplex reminds me of Mega City One. Yeah, it's it's supposed to be all futury and 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 stuff. Did Rodrigo right. just hurl? No, he's uh, he's still there, blinking away happily. Yeah. But so, no. so thought I heard him here hurl, man. No, 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 no. So what? This is what happens. <laughs> there is a minority that's in an alley yes. who gets brutally murdered by surrogates. Now, one has to understand that in this world, you can live out your fantasy life by essentially hooking yourself into a computer and running a robot that looks and does and looks real. Maybe a younger version of yourself. Maybe a thinner version of yourself. Maybe, Maybe yourself a as a girl. Oh, and and for that matter, you know, you can do hazardous construction work without yeah, without getting any harm to yourself. Risk. Well, yeah, that's he, kind of a cool, cool world. What do you, you? So before we get into kind of the plot, what do you guys think of this world of surrogates? This idea that we well, could kind of live out our lives vicariously through someone else. I mean, that's why I, people listen to the podcast, right? Well, yes uh, and no. But having spent the better <laughs> part of the '90s as a lesbian in various chat rooms. I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you that there is a great draw. There's a great, there's, there's something compelling about being someone that you're really not. Yeah. About playing or creating that role. It's kind of like when you go in for a job interview, you know, you put on that tie that you never wear and you don't even remember how to tie and you're on your best behavior and you pretend that this is the person that you really are. So that six months down the line, when they realize they've hired an asshole, they are already in, and it's kind of like that. I mean, I I I like the way the surrogate thing plays into the human failing and the, the human thing of, boy, I wish I were something else, three inches taller or thinner or a girl or, you know, whatever it is you want to be. Rodrigo? Um, it's pretty interesting. Um, definitely, I mean, it makes sense. I'm sure everybody's had that day where you would rather... Instead of going to work, you would rather send your robot lookalike to work, and that way you don't have to get out of bed. No, just me. Okay. Well, no, I mean, no. I, I've had your job. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just find it fascinating from a social standpoint. Of we would really go that far. I mean, it's you know people make so much of a deal over looks, over how we look, and how we interact. I mean. Uh, the main hero, the uh, the the uh, Harvey Greer, uh, who is the cop that's the central character of this story, uh, he comes home one night to find that his wife has purchased a surrogate. These things are expensive, and it's a sexier, younger version of herself so that they can go and get it on and, and have all those kinds of things. But it's this whole body image thing that I find is, is really kind of a fascinating kind of 
look at where we might be going in the future. Mm. So from that social aspect, I found the surrogates, the idea, the concept really interesting and scattered throughout this volume. They have little excerpts about, you know, like if it were really from a a newspaper in Atlanta, perhaps the Atlanta journal constitution or whatever it's called. Um, But I just found that fascinating to kind of see these different. What's the hat? The Atlanta journal constitution. I am right. Apollo four. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Griffith Trainer, Kirsty Cougar Mellencamp. Uh, so I, I just found all this kind of backstory information fascinating. Now, apparently, I've got the hardcover somewhere. Matthew has the hardcover somewhere. Uh, in this first volume, they kind of go a little bit more into depth about how the surrogate system was created and some of the things right. about that as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, the surrogate is kind of one of those status symbols, and only the rich and the wealthy uh, can afford them, and people who can't afford a surrogate or who don't use a surrogate uh, get looked down upon and and get harassed a lot and that's kind of what happens in this story where there's a poor beggar in this in the alley and three white surrogates come up and start talking smack and they beat the heck out of this uh out of this bum and kill him right but it does kind of we're introduced into this harvey greer character and, and him trying to find out who the killers are it brings up a weird aspect in that at one point we sort of name check it being maybe maybe racially motivated, and then it, right. it, it kind of put aside because even though the surrogates themselves were designed to look like white men, we have no idea who was driving. Right, and our main character actually ends up taking you know rides in surrogates and changing race and gender several times during the story. Right. In fact, at the, by the end of the story, at the big uh, riot that happens at the end of the story, he's just a robot. But yeah, yeah. at one point, he does turn into a woman. He's like, ah, crap. Ah, um, crap it. But, you know, this, the investigation now, The Harvey Greer is a police officer who is looking to become a detective, and he's asked to ride along with the detective in charge of the case, and they go to the owner of the surrogate, and they come to the conclusion that, hey, it wasn't really the surrogate owner that did this killing or his friends. It was these guys' sons right. that decided to uh, joyride in the bodies. And that's and, creepy. Well, yeah, and, and then there's this whole issue of a snitch. You know, the father is saying, oh, no, 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 I did it. It was really me, but they really know it's the kid, and they don't want to put the kids in the, or, you know, the parents don't want the kids to go to the jail. But so they're trying to get real justice here. And they understand that there's a snitch who may understand um, who was there, who witnessed everything. And so Greer is tasked with tracking down the snitch and finding out where he went. Right. Well, this guy ends up with a, ends up, uh, I don't know, being harbored by a religious group. Right. Led by this guy called the Prophet. John Prophet. He used to be a member of Youngblood. There you go. And uh, the prophet starts to use this situation, which is boiling into almost, at times, a racial thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he uses this to kind of coerce the government, the mayor's office, the police force, tries to um, coerce them into giving up a huge tract of land that he can use for his his, uh, religion, his organization. And it should be noted that both the snitch and the prophet are drawn as African-Americans. Right. That's actually, that's kind of an issue that I had with this. Like, okay. Why are all the dreads black? And they never touch on it. 
They never talk about it. Mm-hmm. All of these crazy zealots are black. All of them. Every last one of them. Everyone we see. I mean, sometimes the art gets a little fuzzy, so presumably yeah. some of the guys back there could be white. No, but the prophet is the prophet is black. His second in command is is black. His, uh, you know, the the snitch is black. The guy that's killed is black. It could vary, and uh, you know, again, if you think about Atlanta, it's still there's a lot of racial issues that go yeah. on in in the South and in Georgia, uh, even but in I, this modern age. I was honestly, I was distracted by it because all like the the main cop is white. Mm-hmm. Um, the police right. force is largely composed of white people. I think there are a couple of black guys, you know, kicking around back there in the background. But right. it really, like, if you just looked at the pictures and didn't read the text at all, you know, you wouldn't know that this was about robots until somebody's guts exploded into gears. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. This looks like a race riot and mm-hmm. it's never talked about. And it's distracting because. If there are going to be racial issues, then they should be addressed. And if they're, if they're, if they don't want to have racial issues, I mean, it's the freaking future. You know, you can have people of any race. You can have people be green. It doesn't, you know, it's, I found it very distracting. I was like, why isn't anybody talking about the fact that the dreads are all African American? Yeah. And that was kind of my thing too, especially when the story starts with, again, take away the dialogue and it looks like, Three rich white businessmen beating the hell out of a a black person who's homeless. Right, right. You know, and, and well, but I mean, can't the issue of race, without it being talked about, this underlying tension, really spill over into this overall kind of look at tomorrow's future? You know, even though we might be wearing different bodies in the future, it's still a lot of our problems still deal with race, and maybe we ought to deal with the race problem now before we try to cover it up in the future with these surrogate bodies? Well, if that was brought up, then yeah, but it wasn't. Well, that's true. Maybe you're just supposed and, to infer that or read, read into well, it. Prophet's crusade doesn't seem to have anything to do with his pride as a man, as no. a black man. It has to no. do with, this is, you know, I'm not going to live through this machine. Well, the prophet is, the way I read him, is that he's an opportunist. And he sees this, he, he orchestrates this whole major conflict, when it boils down to people rioting in the streets, he organized that. He organized the snitch getting killed in front of witnesses. He organized this um, essentially holding the city hostage so he could get what he wanted, this Mm -hmm. land where people wouldn't have to be a slave to their surrogate body. So he's he's not a great guy. No, he's not. At least I didn't see him as that way. No. Um, it, it's a di- I mean, it, I found it very interesting. I was really, when I read this, I was like, okay, well, you know, we've seen the trailers of the movie. We've seen some behind the scene things from the movies, and this is a prequel. This should kind of really lead us into and answer a lot of questions as we get up to the movie. And I find myself at the end of this book, really having a lot more questions to ask than were actually answered. What do you Um, initially, when I started reading the book, I did have the hardcover with both volume one and volume two. Right. And I thought we were reviewing volume one. So Yeah, that was my bad because I didn't get a I didn't have the hard copy for Rodrigo to review yet. So you know it is what it is. Life uh is a cabaret, my friends come to the cabaret. But volume one 
as the first one we see is kind of the Star Wars. And this one is, there's a phenomenon that goes on. And I want to, I want to state, first of all, that I liked both volume one and volume two. And I think that Rodrigo and I both have a tendency when we like a book to point out the things where we go, okay, and then maybe not say, I really liked this part of it. Well, he does. He'll say, and I liked it. (laughs) But um, I liked volume two, but I felt like that I I too was uncomfortable with the whole, you know, here's uh, here's this thing where no one is really coming out and saying, and it's, it doesn't even feel like it's an underlying thing. It feels like it's accidental. It feels like it might be an oversight that well, we've that's, got. That's what worries me about it. Like, you know, reading is like, nobody's addressing this. It's not an issue, but it, it is. It couldn't, it couldn't actually be that like subconsciously the writer or the artist are making all of the problematic people black. Right. I don't think that. Yeah, I don't think that. That's I mean, we can't. We, and nowadays, we can't assume that it's 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 out and out an insult. But right. that's kind of what, how it feels like at times. It, but it does feel like in a story that's about body image and is you know about you know more important things of identity and things of self. You know, what do you perceive yourself to be, and does that have the slightest? the slightest resemblance to what other people perceive you to be when you take that and you know, you're not even name checking or, you know, you know, subtly saying, Hey, you know, we, we recognize that this is going on. It makes me wonder if, you know, somewhere along the line, it might have been in the story and was removed to make the story more, you know, palatable to make the story more broad, broad reaching. I don't know, but I don't want to put words into the writer's mouth. Absolutely. Robert, Robert Venditti, if that's how you say his last name, does live in Atlanta. And I lived in Atlanta for five years, and there was still a lot of racial tension that goes on without coming outright and saying, hey, there's a race breakdown here. Uh, a lot of it, when I lived there, was kind of unwritten. I mean, we we lived with people and around people who still use the N-word daily to refer to uh, people that that they interacted with and it's just like what are you kidding i mean i was i was really shocked mm-hmm. um by how blatant some of the racism was but also how a lot of it was just glossed over with this is just it so you know he might be writing and again i'm not i don't want to put you know his words into it but he might be a product of his environment and this well, is just how it came out by no means am I implying that there's a racist intent in the writing, right. but I think that there is, you know, there's a, at least a missed opportunity in not addressing, especially, like I said, in a story when it's about your identity and your sense of self and yeah. what it really means, you know, yeah. but also something interesting throughout this is this one is written as a prequel that explains things and has portents of what happens in volume one. Correct. Um, when the lieutenant comes home, or excuse me, the officer now, the future right. detective comes home to see his wife, there's a subplot in the first volume about his wife and her surrogate. Mm-hmm. And there's there's some moments that are really, you know, ominous setups to volume one that only work if you've read volume one. Otherwise, True. they feel like they're, what? Yeah. So um, I would say that overall, 
the story that we have here, while the weaker of the two volumes, is still strong enough to stand on its own. It's still an interesting story. It's still a story that I feel, you know, has resonance. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like it does have, you know, it's played as a joke, but the moment where, you know, he, he beams into a new surrogate body and they leap out in riot gear and he's this, you know, little girl in a tight t-shirt because they're using whatever surrogate bodies they can find. Right. That, that visual gag is cute, but I think that visual gag also kind of, I don't know if I want to say undermines the point of are you what you seem to be or are we, you know, what are we if we seem to be something that we're not putting that character in that female body and having it be just, you know, kind of that one shot joke. I felt like there was, again, another opportunity where we could have, you know, we could have delved into something different. You know, you could have had. I think what it boils down to what it boils down to for me is that. Here's this story. It's a pretty great story. Um, smart, you know. It's something that it's been tackled by other writers before, but this does it very well. I mean, these the, the, here are these perfect robot copies of people, mm-hmm. or you know, if they're not a copy of you, then they're you know indistinguishable from people. Um, but then the writers, the writer, kind of goes on and makes some kind of strange choices that uh, detract from what's going on to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing, well, and I would agree with both of you on, on those parts. I think the other thing that's kind of interesting is how, what is it, visual, what is the company called? Visual Inc.? Mm-hmm. Virtual uh, Self Incorporated. Virtual, yeah, there we go. Virtual Self Incorporated. How they're trying to downplay <clears throat> this whole issue as well, because they're trying to launch a kid line of these surrogates. Right. That and, I liked. And I felt like there were a couple of sequences in there that were just smart as a whip where they're talking about what are we going to do? Well, this is the court of public opinion. There's only one thing we can do. Right. Or the fact that they're trying to look into other markets and, oh, let's tap the kid market. Oh, let's do this. And we see that play out in society today as well of let's start with the adults and work our way back down to to the kids. So it's Joe Camel. Hey, kids. It's an interesting it is an interesting story, and I got to say that it took me a long time to read through the surrogates for a couple of reasons. Number one was the story was really in depth, and you really had to pay attention to who the characters were in order to really follow the overall plot. Uh, and I think part of that problem had to do with art, but we'll talk about art in just a moment. Um, but then after I got past, I think the first or second issue in this trade, then things ran very smoothly, and it was kind of clear as to what was going on. And you got to see the power play play out, and, and you had your resolution of. You know what is what are we really trying to say in in this future world? Um, so I you know I like the story. I thought it was well done. The thing that I had a problem with though was the art, and you know nothing against you know it's a very different look that Brett what's his name Weldell uh, or Weld Weldley um, that he does. It's a different look that we many people may may not have seen. Um, I guess the closest thing that I would call to this is maybe the flatting process where you just fill in the inks with large areas of solid color mm-hmm. and then um, and then later you you bring out the detail by adding in the highlights and the shadows and all of that. That's kind of how this art was for me and I really didn't care for the coloring. I thought the, the ink style was fine, but just it was very difficult to to follow a lot of the times with this art style. What did you guys think about the art? I felt like the coloring actually made the art work. 
for me. I do like the colors, but I just don't like that it was so monotone and and muted throughout it. You know, but just that that was what kind of worked. The art is very minimalist. Um, you'll see, you know, a, a character design that's basically a shape with a distinctive hairstyle, right? And then you know, right, and indications of facial expressions. But you very seldom get a character who's like you know fully rendered. It um, the comparison that I always have is Riley Rossmo's work on Proof. Um, feels very much like this kind of a it's it's a minimalist style that it the reader has to kind of buy into it. The reader has to bring something to it. So I felt like the weird coloring, I shouldn't say weird, the unique coloring. You know, the use of you know masses of blues and grays and reds. Right. Really, really makes the art work for me. It makes it kind of an experience where it's not photorealistic. You know, it's no, not photorealistic, uh -uh. but the way the coloring is done doesn't try to, you know, doll it up. It doesn't try to make it all, you know, sweet and shiny and give it a standard coloring scheme with, you know, four colors. And this one's RMYK2. Right. And right. it's interesting to note that even as angular, as the art style is, even as minimalist as the art style is, uh, the scene where he meets his wife and she's in the sexy little lingerie, right, works as a drawing of a sexy little lingerie girl. You know, it's True. not it's not necessarily something that's going to be terribly titillating or over the top, but you can look at that and go, yeah, I can definitely see this is his wife, you know, in her little robot body, whatever. You can look at that and go, okay, I can definitely understand why he's late to work the next day. It it's a style that reminds me a lot of the um, pin style that we saw in what well, I guess it's the late fifties, early sixties. You know when uh, uh, Chuck Jones was doing a lot of the animation style that we saw the Chuckamuck uh, Warner Brothers stuff. Mm -hmm. It kind of reminds me of that kind of style, and I just felt that for a future story to evoke the thought of something that took place, you know, fifty years ago kind of didn't mesh for me, and maybe that's why it didn't work. But then again, 50 years ago, race relations were a little different, so maybe it ties back into that as well. Rodrigo? Um, I wasn't crazy about the art. Uh, I can see from a uh, from an overall standpoint, you know, the, the art feels a little murky and a little dreamy and cloudy sometimes, you know, because of that, you know, everything's one color with the highlights pointing out what, what things actually are. So you can, you know, basically boil it down to in a world where humans and robots cannot be told apart, you know. Um, <laughs> so in that sense, it works. Um, that said, though, I, that's kind of another thing that I found distracting. It was, um, I, in, in a story that's supposed to have this edge, sometimes I kind of wanted an edge somewhere and it all just kind of, very softly um it is is put in front of me you know it's like oh here's all these people getting their heads bashed in it was um, very muted yes all right so let's look at some final recommendations now uh matthew you had a chance to read part of volume one or did you read all of volume one i've read all of volume one and all of volume two actually. okay so i guess the question is and we're looking at it again. I mainly told I told you why we we ended up with this issue, but knowing that it's a prequel, is this a good series to read before reading volume one, Matthew? No. 
Okay. You need to read volume one first, and then volume two makes more sense. And um, I will say this, the volume that I have, the hardcover, yeah. has a really beautiful trade dress. It's basically, the trade dress is set up as the owner's manual for my new surrogate unit. Right. So, you know, it's got this this slick black cover black and the cover interiors. Yeah, it, it, it's basically set up to where this is this is... There's no indication on the front cover or the spine that indicates that this is anything other than the owner's manual for my new surrogate unit. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I do like that. But so as um, a when you get into it, sure, go ahead. When you get into it, I will say two things about the surrogates. Before I read this, I knew two things. One, I read issue three of the first volume. uh, One afternoon in the store, when it happened to come back into the back issue bin for bagging and boarding. And I put it aside because of the art. Ah, okay. And I regret that decision now because um, reading through that volume one, I was very, very, you know, I would, I would absolutely recommend volume one. Volume two for me is not as strong a piece, but it's still, it's still kind of fascinating. It's got that almost a perverse sort of let's watch this bug walk across the wall kind of thing. Yeah. You know, not not in not as snotty and 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 you know mean as that may sound, but I would say that if I were going to give this a meatloaf rating, I would say volume two alone is two and a half. Okay, volume one alone is four. The combined volume that I read is a good three and a half stars. Okay, so I would right. say the second volume really needs the first volume to flesh it out. I said flesh, see, because it's yeah. called flesh, and I did like, and then the, the, the funny with the fine life and the nice Warner children, hello. Um, but yeah, I would say that I definitely recommend it. I would recommend it once you've read volume one. Okay, all right, Rodrigo. Um, I'm curious to read volume one. I it definitely didn't turn me on so or turn me off so much that I'm not interested. Um. But uh, there was, you know, a couple unanswered questions for me and not like uh, plot wise unanswered questions, but, you know, kind of uh, design elements and some choices that I wish I had an idea as to why they happened. Um, All in all, I'd probably give it two and a half slices of meatloaf. It's a it's a fun idea. It's an interesting read, definitely. And Mm -hmm. uh, the power plays that happen in the city are definitely very interesting. Very thought-provoking. I like the social commentary. I like the political intrigue. I like robots getting their heads smashed in and guys waking up in girls' bodies. Um, <laughs> art, put, art, art put me off a lot. Um, I'm going to give it, though, because after at the end of it, I was like, ooh, you know, I really kind of want to read that first volume, and I kind of want to see the movie to see how some of these elements from this second volume play out in the movie. Mm-hmm. So for that reason, I'm going to give it three slices of meatloaf. I'm going to give it and check it out from the library recommendation. I'm not saying go out and buy it, but certainly go out and check it out from the library if you're just going to get volume two. Now, the good thing is up on Amazon and other places, and again, FTC, you know, we purchased all these books ourselves, so go F yourself. Um, You know, volume one is available on volume one and two in this bound edition that Matthew's talking about is available on Amazon for a pretty decent price. I think it's twenty five bucks with the with the used uh, or the you know the discount and everything. It's not a bad buy for for that combined. So uh, 
you know, if you want to spend the money for a nice bound volume and if you're into the into the story or the idea of the story, you might want to check it out from that way. But I would say go check it out from your library first. All right. Any other things that we need to cover this week on the show? Just my nose. Yes, please. You need to cover your mouth when you sneeze. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ha, you see what I did there? It's a funny because the cat. All right, everybody. I think the then. The, I think that wraps it up for this week. Thank you so much for listening and being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Next week, we're going to take a trip back down the mouse hole and see what's going on with Mouse Guard as we all take a look at the new volume, Mouse Guard Winter 1152. That's next time on the Major Spoilers podcast because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Bad the X-ray vision of a Superman I could save a few bucks and stand around And read through the covers of the comics on the stand But although every other page would be backwards I suppose I could still read the evens and the odds Well I don't know Guess I haven't thought this all the way through Plus as soon as the comic book store guy knew They kicked my butt out on the corner What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Stark raving rich like a man of iron Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the hard cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah what a major spoiler, whoa, 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 what a major spoiler. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009.